This is Dave Smith from Orange County, California, and I am absolutely positive that I would rather shoot a video with Michael Moore called Two Guys, One Cup than listen to I Doubt It with Dollamore. The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It with Dalamore. All right. Thank you for joining us. Episode 134 of I Doubt It with Dalamore. I, of course, am your host, Jesse Dalamore. And sitting across from me, raring to go with an eagerness unmatched, my lovely co-host, Brittany Page. And also with fewer fries in my belly than could be no, listen, in my belly. He, <laughs> fewer fries just than I away. wanted just straight away, and huh? could have had. Here's, here's the thing. We just got back mm. from visiting In-N-Out, mm-hmm. a... California-based, very famous burger chain, mm-hmm, which is not just that meh. great. Yeah, pretty pretty meh. But everyone as... loves it when they come here. And anyway, so uh, Brittany and I can agree on that. That much we can agree on. However, because it's late, because right now it's about eleven p.m. Pacific Standard Time, and we're doing the show very late because I'm a lazy, lazy turd. Mm-hmm. However, we 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 come back. We're driving back from said burger place, in mm-hmm, and out mm-hmm. and I hear a little crinkle, crinkle, <laughs> little little crinkling, a little, no. little tussling with the, with the bag on oh, the way back from was the there burgers. A, was there a car problem? Right, right. So I look over, and Brittany is like elbow deep into <laughs> the bag, just it ferociously... Eating the fries at a rapid pace. Uh, okay. I and had a, like five. At a breakneck speed, <laughs> she is gobbling down the fries, which would leave me with none by the time we get back to the okay. house. Except for I had five, and then we well, brought the fries back. I can't rely upon your your assessment of how many you had, because there's probably bite marks on your fingers. You're eating them so quickly. <laughs> Okay, listen. No, no, <laughs> this is bullshit. Okay, I'm not gonna let you cloud, cloud what happened. Okay. So when we, <laughs> but we, these are lies. No, hang on, hang on. When we got back to the, when we got back to the house, I, I sat down with my burgers. I had two double doubles, which ended up being way too much, and you sat in front of me. What I thought were the remainder of the fries <laughs> to be eaten by me. Which was really a full order of fries minus the five fries that I had on the way home. So, so then I finally go to have some fries with my delicious burger. And all that's left for me are crumbs. Well, so you ate all of the fries listen, like a selfish person. I thought I was under the impression when you sat the fries before me. You you placed them before me. I thought they were mine to have and to hold, to mine to eat, mm-hmm. to enjoy. Selfish. <laughs> well, inconsiderate. In retrospect, maybe I should have asked, "Hey, are the rest of these for me?" <laughs> <laughs> Would have been great. 
would have been great. Listen, you had your portion on the way back when Five I fries. practically reached across the car and slapped your hand to get you to stop <laughs> furiously <laughs> feeding your face with the fries. All right. Which is what you do anytime we go to fast food. We can't you can't get to our destination. You have to start a little snack. Okay. Well, we hardly ever eat fast food and if we do, it's in and out because I don't eat any other fast food. <laughs> right. Because unfortunately, we don't have a Shake Shack here. We do not have a Shake Shack. That is a shame. And I would really love for there to be a Shake Shack. Oh wait, there will be soon in LA. Yeah, we're not driving to LA. To go to Shake Shack. Sometimes we will. Well, if in LA, listen, this is we're way out of out of control here. Let's move on. Over the course of the last couple episodes, we have talked about the BYOB policy when either receiving or maybe giving an invite. The bring your own booze or bring your own bottle or as Brittany likes to insist, bring your own beverage. Yes, thank you. We, Brittany and I, are under the impression and we we share the belief that bring your own bottle means, hey, listen, it's not going to be an open bar. So bring what you're going to drink. Otherwise, there's nothing going to be here for you to drink. Right. So you have to show up with the drink that you want to drink. Right. So if you're going to drink a handle of Jim Beam, then you better bring a handle of Jim Beam and don't expect to be dipping into the other guy's Jim Beam. Yes. Well, apparently, other people believe different things about this. We did receive some feedback last, last episode, and even more has been shared this week. The unfortunate part is, last week, we had people agreeing with us, and this week, not so much. Yeah, not so much at all. We received an email from Dave over at the podcast, The Indispensable Thursday Show, and he had this to say. I may sometimes unwittingly and innocently be called one of those BYOB moochers on occasion, because while I will always bring something and focus on my own bottle, if I get the sense that the brought booze is really just a courtesy to add to the general pool of the booze at the party, which all can then partake of, I will then sample the other brought booze. (laughs) So it may depend on the vibe of the party, says Dave. Listen, I kind of agree with that, because if the vibe when you get there is this is community, then I think it's okay. But we're not really talking about once you get there. We're saying when you send out the BYOB within the invitation, what message is being sent? Right. And then also how, I guess, the question to the audience was, what by what methods could we could we avoid having our shit skeeved once we got to said party like what happened to us when we came back to refill our cup and oh our whole bottle of wine was gone yeah right because apparently someone who byob'd didn't like what they brought for themselves and liked what we brought better or Or, just didn't byob or finished what they (laughs) byob'd And then decided to dip into ours. Yes. So, Dave, thank you very much for the email. Absolutely, I think that we're on the same page. I think you're being a little bit more magnanimous than I am about the matter, though. We also 
had one of our listeners share on her Facebook wall a post about this, and there was actually a lot of feedback. What was some of that? Well, she originally said, the BYOB episode, going to be completely honest here, I thought that was like code for a booze potluck. True, when you BYOB to restaurants and pay the corkage fees, you get to drink what you brought. But I did always think that BYOB meant that the hosts aren't splurging on the strong stuff and guests get to bring what they like and share. Yeah, I don't... uh, This seems like a weird interpretation of BYOB. I think it's a very loose interpretation, to say the least, because you're you're just completely inferring, Alina, that it's bring your own booze. It's not bring your own booze for everybody. It's your own for you. Yes. But apparently... I might be wrong about this because other people chimed in and agreed with her. Yeah, everyone who commented on the status agreed (laughs) with her. So we are definitely outnumbered here. Someone said, I would bring the drink I wanted to drink and expect to share. And I would expect to try other people's drinks too. I did have one person show up with two beers from a six pack before though, because he said he only wanted to drink that much. That is fine too. And that's where I am. Because... If Listen, it's not about being stingy because if I was under the impression that it was going to be a community pool of booze, I would bring more than what I'm going to drink. You know what I mean? I, I would bring four bottles of wine instead of two bottles of wine. Right. So then the next commenter agreed with the previous commenter and said, that's exactly what it means to me. If you don't want to share because you have something specific and you're not drinking anything else, just let people know, but bring enough to share or don't take others. And then this was also a good one. BYOB equals Y-F-A-O-Y-O. <laughs> what the hell is that? You Fs are on your own. <laughs> you fucks are on your own? Yes. <laughs> Well, that's good. Listen, this is all part of our, our, our diligent community service to keep moving the conversation forward. About really important <laughs> things like BYOB. Right, right. So as a part of this, I want to encourage the audience to take this opportunity to go like the Facebook page so you can sound off about these matters when we when we put a call out for information because we'll post about it. And then if we get some comments... It's awesome that we're able to read them on the air. So if you haven't already, go like the Facebook page. Before we move on, we got one more email of something of a little bit more importance or seriousness. And Jillian emailed us about the Dylan Roof, Charleston, South Carolina situation. Hi, guys. So I was talking to my friend who happens to be a forensic psychiatrist. A lot of people are blaming Dylan's mental health. My friend said that from what he has seen, it does not look like it is a mental health issue, which was my opinion, too. And the thing that is annoying about it, blaming mental health, is that it's screwed up and gives people with mental health issues a bad name. It also gives people an excuse for what he did. There is no excuse. I understand certain killers have had mental health issues, usually a personality disorder, but here this is very unlikely to be the issue. I would agree with half of that. I do believe that crying mental health, crying insanity when there is no insanity or there is no issue with mental health, that is very problematic because it does stigmatize those who do. 
But where I would urge caution, and I don't know if you would agree with me on this, Brittany, I would assume you do, that unless your friend who is the forensic psychiatrist, unless they've actually sat down with Dylan Roof and been able to, to spend some time with him and make an assessment, then there's really no way to say yay or nay whether he's crazy. Right. And this is kind of the unfortunate thing about these talking heads on various news media, because even C- even CNN recently ran an article about Suboxone and they are guessing that Dylan Roof at one point was on Suboxone. And this article was all about, well, how could that have affected him if he was taking this a couple months before this happened? And- how could it possibly like just wild speculation? Yeah. yeah. And we don't need that. We don't know what's going on. It's too soon. No one knows. But what we do know is that he was racist and he was motivated by his beliefs and motivated to start a race war. Right. Based on his own words. Right. So those are things that can be discussed further and those are things that should be taken into consideration. But everything else is kind of, oh, well, we don't really know yet. Well, listen, the fact remains that even if he is found to be insane, he needs to be removed from society because he is clearly a danger, murdering, brutally slaughtering nine people. So insane or not, hateful or not, bigoted or not, he needs to be dealt with the same, I believe. Moving on. The Supreme Court of the United States, according to Slate Magazine, according to Mark Joseph Stern at Slate, he wrote an article posted today titled, The Supreme Court Just Admitted It's Going to Rule in Favor of Gay Marriage. Of course, this headline is just written in a way to get readers to click. It's complete clickbait because there is no way to know for certain, but it is good news. Early Monday morning, the Supreme Court refused to stay a federal judge's order invalidating Alabama's ban on same-sex marriage. In doing so, the justices immediately set up a constitutional crisis between the state's lawless chief justice and the federal judiciary. (laughs) They also effectively admitted what court watchers have suspected for months. The court is preparing to rule in favor of nationwide marriage equality at the end of this term. Here's how Monday's decision reveals the justices' intentions to strike down gay marriage across the country. Typically, the justices will stay any federal court ruling whose merits are currently under consideration by the Supreme Court. Under normal circumstances, that is precisely what the court would have done here. The justices will rule on the constitutionality of the state-level marriage bans this summer, so they might as well put any federal court rulings on hold until they've had a chance to say the last word. After all, if the court ultimately ruled against marriage equality, the Alabama District Court's order would be effectively reversed, and those gay couples who wed in the coming months would find their unions trapped in legal limbo. Hmm. I'm, it's very interesting to me, especially where it relates to Alabama. Uh, Chief Justice Roy Moore is a famous crazy person who is a nutter-butter Christian who has advocated ignoring rulings of the Supreme Court because they, the authority that they hold isn't higher than the authority of God. This is the Supreme Court Chief Justice of the state of Alabama. <laughs> so he's one of these people 
like Mike Huckabee, who is advocating ignoring the ruling of our system of government, of our rule of law. And it makes me wonder, because one of two things is going to happen. They're either going to try to do that, or they're going to be a lot like people like uh, Alec Baldwin who say, I'm moving to France if George W. Bush is elected president, and then they don't. They stay here. My my take on it is pro- they're probably going to be the type that they stay in the country. They don't move away, metaphorically. But it would be very interesting to see what would go down if they tried to buck the ruling of the highest court in the land. Right. So in this article, they continue and say seven justices agreed without comment that the district court's ruling could go into effect, allowing thousands of gay couples in Alabama to wed. That is not what a court that planned to rule against marriage equality would do. By permitting these marriages to occur, the justices have effectively tipped their hand, revealing that any lower court's pro-gay ruling will soon be affirmed by the high court itself. Right. Causing uh, more administrative work than necessary if they were to stop the ruling, to stay that ruling from the lower court. So ultimately, things look good for people like us. Yeah. And not gay, s- gay people like us. Very good for us, Brittany. <laughs> well, advocates. <laughs> and not so good for people who are not advocates. Like Justice Roy Moore or Mike Huckabee or Rick Santorum or Mark Rubio. Or Bobby Jindal. Or Bobby Jindal. Ugh. More about him later. More about him later. So a little bit more follow-up about the Confederate flag. South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley has called, I don't know if I would say bravely, but she has boldly called, she has boldly called for the removal of the Confederate flag over the state house of their, of their state. Oddly enough, they have a they have a strange system in South Carolina. One is one of one part of the oddness, I guess, is that they have to vote on whether to remove the flag. That's not necessarily the odd part, though. The odd part is that they have to vote on whether to open up debate to talk about whether they should vote <laughs> to remove the flag. Kind of goofy. So anyway. The vote took place, and I don't know exactly how many, how many, what numbers of people are in the the legislature of South Carolina, but it did pass. They are going to debate it, and we will see what happens there. However, there were some holdouts. So the vote was 103 to 10, and that means 10 people voted against having a conversation right. about removing the Confederate flag. And so who were the 10 holdouts? Eric Bedingfield. All right. Wendy Nanny. Okay. Craig Gagnon. Christopher Corley. Kevin Hardy. Ann Thayer. Jonathan Hill. W. Brian White. Michael Gambrell. And William Chumley. William Chumley. Oh, that is a name I recognize. CNN had a reporter on the ground during the vote and was talking to the different members of the state house of the the legislature there. Well, this William Chumley character uh, was cornered. I don't want to say cornered because 
that would indicate that maybe that was gotcha questions that were asked. And that is not what went down. This exchange took place where he just opened up his mouth and inserted his big, fat, stupid foot. But if hate groups have misused the flag and if hate groups have adopted it as its own, and hate groups are certainly creating divisive issue over this, why continue to fly it here at the state capitol grounds? Well, let me ask you a question. Why, uh, why do we let hate groups dictate how we feel and how we live? You, like, hate groups are everywhere. Uh, people are, uh, uh, they're, they're mean people everywhere. We found that out in Charleston. We're focusing on the wrong thing here. We need to be focusing on the nine families that are left and see that this doesn't happen again. These people sat in there and waited their turn to be shot. That's sad. And somebody in there with a means of self-defense could have stopped this and would have had less funerals than we're having. Are you, you're turning this into a gun debate? If those nine families asked you to take down gun. that flag, would you do it? You said guns. Why didn't somebody, why didn't somebody just do something? Well, you know, I mean, why? I mean, uh, you've got one skinny person shooting a gun, you know, I mean... We need to take and do what we can. But no, that's... Well, I mean, I, I want to make sure I understand what you're telling me. Are you asking that these people should have tackled him, these women should have fought him, that... I don't know what, I don't know what the answer was, but I know it's really, really horrible for nine people to be shot, and I understand that he reloaded his gun during the process. That's, that's uh, upsetting. Why didn't someone do something, this right. turd says? He's putting the blame back onto them and not onto the maniac, the hateful, racism-fueled asshole who murdered brutally nine innocent churchgoers. I just don't understand how a public official who should be more used to giving interviews than yeah, the average person... Of course is speaking this way on camera. I mean, even the guy who's interviewing him is kind of laughing. Like, okay, I need to make sure I'm getting this right. Well, he, the, the reporter did the right thing. It's, hey, let me give you more rope to hang yourself with. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. But he didn't even, he didn't lead this guy down this path. William Chumley jumped headfirst into the deep end knowing he was unable to swim. Oh, for sure. Ugh, just disgusting. Since then... He has come out and with a very well, this is the way it always worked. I've talked about it on the show many times. It's always a very inarticulate fumble fuck. And then when they apologize, it's very well crafted and perfectly worded, encompasses all that an, that an apology should. What exactly were the words of his apology, Brittany? I deeply regret using those words and giving that impression. My view, which I was clumsily trying to express, was that it is painfully regrettable that someone was not able to intervene in this demented killer's life to stop him right up to the moment he squeezed the trigger. Please let me be clear. The responsibility for the despicable murders in Charleston rests solely on the murderer. If any of my remarks suggested differently, I am deeply sorry. Right. So... Keep in mind, there's no video of his apology because it was scripted. It was well-crafted and written, probably by someone other than him. What we should have done is had you read the apology. Yee-hoo! I'm sorry! In the it is unbelievable that this man has a constituency. He has people who are voting for him, who keep 
putting him in office when he holds terrible, pernicious beliefs about other important issues than just the flag. I mean, if this, if he can't come down on the right side of history on something so basic, goddamn. South Carolina is not the only state in the union in the news relative to the Confederate flag, though. Alabama, Governor Robert Bentley has ordered the removal preemptively of the flag. Right. He ordered all Confederate flags to be removed from the state capitol grounds. And they have a different system than South Carolina. They don't have to rely on a vote through their state legislature. He can, the governor can, through executive order, just remove the flags, have the flags removed. So that is what he did. The governor said, this is the right thing to do. We are facing some major issues in this state regarding the budget and other matters that we need to deal with. This had the potential to become a major distraction as we go forward. I have taxes to raise. We have work to do. And it was my decision that the flag needed to come down. So he ordered it removed and it was removed the same day. Some would might criticize Governor Bentley and say, well, you know, he's not doing it for the right reasons. And I, w- I would I would caution uh, those those people who would say that and say that, you know, the, the, the methodology or the reasoning behind what he did matters less than what he did because because of what he did, selfish or uh, uh, motivated by other factors or not. The fact remains that Confederate flags no longer fly over government entities in the state of Alabama. And that's a big deal. That's a big deal. Right. And like you said, uh, for South Carolina, it's different. So taking down the flag at South Carolina's Capitol requires a two thirds majority in both the House and the Senate. Right. Right now, 72 percent of Senate members say they'll vote to take it down. And just 52 percent of the House say that they are in favor. So not where it needs to be yet. Not where it needs to be. But I think some arm twisting by the members of the Senate and other members of the House. I have a feeling it's going to get done. So we'll see. And I don't really have my finger on the pulse of South Carolina politics. I'll be the first to admit. But we'll see. We'll, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. It is remarkable to me, not only the, the, the rapidity with which this, this Confederate flag thing has happened, that all these states are either taking it down or considering taking it down in the span of just a week, but also many companies are jumping on board right now and refusing to sell Confederate merchandise, Confederate flags, trinkets, bullshit with the imagery of the Confederate flag. Uh, I don't know what the the count is as of right now, but I know big names like Amazon and Walmart even has has said no more. So that's a big deal. Do do you happen to know what, what, what some other companies are? Walmart, Sears, Google, Etsy, Newegg, Amazon, eBay. Um, you said Etsy. Yes. eBay. Newegg, which is an online retailer of computer hardware and software. So are they like selling computers <laughs> that are covered in them? Like what, what are they selling? You never know. Okay. Well, some of these companies have, you know, like Walmart. One of the reasons that they gave that it's taken this long to do this is they have millions and millions of SKUs of products that they sell. And it's, you know, it's, it's, I've used the metaphor before, but it takes a long time to steer a big ship. And I find that to be bullshit. But like I said, 
it doesn't really matter, even if it's the wind of change that's causing the company to make the change, the change is being made. We shouldn't be resentful that it took this long. Let's just be happy that it has finally happened. And so Amazon and eBay, they're two of the most prominent online retailers in the U.S., and they are no-go on the Confederate flag merchandise. So they are kind of leading the way for all these other companies to say, yeah, we are also not going to be partaking in the selling of the Confederate flag. Yeah. Good news. So this story is going to bleed over into our next segment. Dollamocracy 2016, facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. Presidential candidate Ben Carson, Dr. Ben Carson, was on CNN with Chris Cuomo and had a very uncomfortable exchange (laughs) about the issue of the Confederate flag. And then he he was asked a, a tangentially adjacent question and got a little uncomfortable and let me hold you to your own test here on a different level many people are equating what the confederate flag stands for with the gay pride flag and saying hey that flag should be taken down too because all it represents is hatred toward christians and people who don't favor gay rights do you see an equation between those two symbols uh well you know i uh, decided that I really wanted to talk about the Confederate flag during this time. But you just and, said, Doctor, that you cannot avoid these difficult situations because that's how they fester. You must deal with what is difficult to deal with. That's part of leadership. You just said that about the other issue. Uh, like I said, if, if you want to talk about that, let's uh, do that on a different segment. So the discomfort of that conversation you feel distracts from the Confederate flag or it's just not something you want to handle? Uh, Let's do it at another time and specifically address that issue. So this is the most annoying thing about politicians, but I'd like to remind everyone that Chris Cuomo is the CNN reporter who interviewed Ben Carson last time about the whole gay prisoner issue, if you might remember. You think being gay is a choice? Absolutely. Why do you say that? Because a lot of people who go into prison go into prison straight, and when they come out, they're gay. Same, same situation encountered by, by Ben Carson when he's interviewed with Chris Cuomo. Why is it that anytime he's with Chris Cuomo, he, he finds himself in a, in a pickle. <laughs> right. Well, and why can't he just answer the question? It's obvious that, you know, he's an educated person. I'm sure when he's asked a question, he can make up his mind and feel the feelings and understand what, he, what he might feel about a certain topic right right. so why couldn't he just answer the question the other thing is he's running for president of the united states if you don't have the wherewithal to be able to answer a question like that on the fly i don't think you're ready to be the most powerful man on the world right that's not a question obama would struggle with that's not a question that george w bush even would struggle with. He would have an answer right away. Right, but the thing is, he needs to meet with someone to discuss what his opinion should be on the issue. Right, right, rather than just speak extemporaneously. Right, and have an opinion like a normal person. Yeah. But he, so I want to make one note, he looks different 
he's not wearing glasses in the last several interviews I've seen him in. I wonder if that's a strategic move to make him look more presidential or something. Yeah, I don't know. Um, But also this gay flag versus the Confederate flag arguments. Right. Is it called a gay flag? Is that what Chris Cuomo said? The rainbow flag. I don't know how how exactly he, he described it. The gay pride flag. Yeah. So people are making this argument. Well... If we if we have to take down if we have to take down the Confederate flag, shouldn't you have to take down the rainbow flag? Right. Uh, what? Well, I don't know of any. Maybe San Francisco, but I don't know of any state organizations that have the 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 rainbow flag flying over their 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 state capital their their bodies. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and even that. So the rainbow flag is representative of equality. That's right. Diversity. Right. He, the Confederate flag and the the rainbow flag they don't they don't equate necessarily though because the the the, the Confederate flag represents an attempt to secede from the United States and ultimately overthrow our our government. It represents the killing of thousands upon thousands of Union soldiers in an act of rebellion. The gay flag doesn't represent that. No, it represents, hey, we'd also like to have what everyone else has. Right, exactly. So stop with that argument, please. Yeah, come on. In other presidential candidate news... Louisiana governor, just it's it's the south, it's the south edition of I Doubt It with Dollimore. Louisiana Governor Bobby Jindal has officially entered the race and has done so. I don't know why we're playing that the banjo music for Bobby Jindal, other than the fact he's from Louisiana, because he is not your prototypical Louisiana type. <laughs> he is of an Indian descent and just not what you'd think when you look at a, a Louisiana governor. You think of a Louisiana governor. But he he announced his presidency in an, in a more odd way than even, I think, uh, Hillary Clinton did with her, you know, well-shot, well-edited, heavily produced YouTube video. He did it with like a fisheye camera that was hidden up in a tree pointing down at a table on their patio where they had a conversation with their kids about him running for president. It seemed as though the kids probably didn't even know they were being filmed. And he was just talking to them about what do y'all think? Should I run for, should I run for president? We're going to do this, but what do you think about it? And we're going to be on the road a lot. And here, but there. So the kids didn't know they were being recorded. In other words, this would have been illegal to do in the state of California. (laughs) I don't know if that's the case with with parents and kids, but it's certainly a little creepy because it it really was. It looks like Bobby Jindal, who has no technical ability, got up there and affixed a fisheye camera in a tree by himself. Yeah, it's like a GoPro. You can't even see Bobby Jindal. And you can't hear. Yeah, it's terrible. The, The sound quality is terrible, which is why we're not playing it. Are we playing it? We're not playing it. I... There's no way to hear it. I mean, it's it's it, very it, difficult. Very weird. Yeah, very weird. And it's really just uh, Bobby Jindal and his wife sitting opposite one another at a patio table 
with their kids sitting with them and them saying, we've come to this decision. We're going to do this. We're running for president. And well, what are your thoughts about it, kids? We get to go back to Ohio. You love popcorn in Ohio, one of the kids. I mean, it's just it's a weird, just a weird way to do it. There's no like speech with revelry and supporters and applause and I'm running for president of the United States. You know, none of that. It's just It's very quiet. Hokey. It was hokey is is all hokey. <laughs> So some of you may remember Bobby Jindal of late because I've been playing this clip of him talking. We've got to stop being the stupid party. So let's kind of delve into exactly who Bobby Jindal is on the issues that would lead us to believe that he truly does want the Republican Party to. We've got to stop being the stupid party. So let's 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 dive into this a little bit. Well, first, I want to just give a couple background items. So he is the first Indian American governor in the United States. He came to the job in 2008 after three years in Congress. He had previously been president of the nine-member University of Louisiana system and has run the state's Department of Health and Hospitals. Okay, so he, he yeah. has a pretty a pretty decent background here. Now, what, is, what, what does he feel about foreign policy? Should we start there? I would say... Uh I don't know. It's hard to say. It's he could either be a a stark isolationist, or kind of a Bush W. Bush version number two. So this is from a New York Times article by Jerry Mullaney, and they're calling him Mister Jindal, like Mister Bush last time. But for some reason, Mister Jindal is just easier to say. <laughs> So, Mr. Jindal has been critical of President Obama's policy toward the Islamic State. Senior Jindal! (laughs) Doesn't work as well. No, it doesn't. Saying he has not come up with a comprehensive plan to destroy the militant group. Quote, We want our military leaders to do whatever it takes, not to degrade, contain, or expel, but to hunt down and kill these radical Islamic terrorists, he said. The United States, he said, might need to bomb Iran to prevent it from getting a nuclear weapon. Quote, I think it's still within our military's capabilities to take out their nuclear infrastructure. I don't think it will remain that way forever. He expresses staunch support for Israel and has criticized Mr. Obama over his tense relationship with Benjamin Netanyahu. Uh, whatever. All right, well, so not an isolationist. He's more of an aggressive guy who wants to threaten the world with, with our military prowess. Bomb Iran? Right. We, we might need to bomb Iran. Eh, you know, we'll see what happens, but eh, let's keep it on the table. Yeah, but I'm already just tossing that thought around in my head. Right. Well, he wants to come across as strong. Because he's not a physically imposing man. He faces, I think, a lot of the same problems that George H.W. Bush faced in his presidential run in 1988. Because he is a a thin, slight man. He's not a big, you know, Hulk. You know, Bill Clinton is a big guy. So is this an issue, though? Um, I don't know. I don't think it's an issue for me. Not at all. However, I think a guy who isn't a big guy might have some kind of insecurities about they oh those people they perceive me as weak so i have to act extra mm, strong right and george hw bush went through this in the 1988 campaign where he was overdoing the machismo a little bit you know hmm. especially cuz he was facing you know dukakis a little tiny 
very short guy, like five foot three, five foot four. Wow. So anyway, we'll, we'll see in, in coming in coming days and coming months. We'll see if my. It's not a prediction because I don't know. I'm just stabbing in the dark and saying this might be it. But we'll see what else. So immigration is next. Mr. Jindal, the son of immigrants, says the U.S. should focus on attracting highly skilled foreign workers, adding, quote, one of the dumbest things we do right now is the number of people with advanced degrees we kick out to go and compete for other countries. He says border security must be strengthened to prevent illegal immigration. He has likened immigration by Muslims to an invasion. And he and he proposed to block entry to people, quote, who want to come and try to impose some variant of Sharia. Law. Jesus Christ. It's the it's the, the fear mongering of Sharia. Look, Sharia's terrible, but it's not listen, it's not gonna happen here. It's not at risk of happening here. Stop it. It's conspiracy theory bullshit. Well, what's funny is he's, you know, frightened of that sort of theocracy, but next on the list here is same sex marriage. Right, right, which he is a theocrat on. Uh, yeah, he opposes it. Oh uh, yeah, he's I think he's a nutter Catholic. In May, after an uproar over an Indiana law that gave protection to business owners refusing to serve same-sex couples, he issued a similarly-themed executive order. It bans Louisiana state agencies from denying charitable, tax, status, and other benefits to entities that refuse, on religious grounds, to participate in same-sex marriage. Hmm. Yeah. He's, he is really trying to vie. There are several candidates in the race right now that are scrambling desperately to vie for the right, the, the radical right-wing vote. Mike Huckabee would be one. He is one. Um, Ted Cruz is another. But Jindal and Huckabee are a little bit different flair and flavor than, than Ted Cruz. I think they have less legitimacy than, than even Ted Cruz. Right. So environment. Mr. Jindal says he believes that the climate is changing and that human behavior has played a role in that phenomenon. But he favors efforts to develop a new energy source in ways that environmentalists say would ultimately increase climate warming emissions, like allowing the Keystone XL pipeline to carry oil from Canadian oil sands to the Gulf Coast. And he opposes new federal rules to limit greenhouse gas emissions from power plants. But he supports green energy research and development to deal with what he he calls the, quote, possible risks of climate change. Hmm. Well, you know, he's he's a conundrum. I mean, that's at least he's not holding snowballs on the floor of the Senate, completely denying it. You know, it's it's something. I mean, he's 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 more fringe than even Donald Trump, I believe, even though he is a legitimate politician. But he's just I don't think he has a, a snowballs, no pun intended, but a, a snowballs chance in hell. Okay, so we'll just quickly go through education and economy and budget. All right. He is um, against Common Core. Uh, expected for a Republican. And for the economy and the budget, he pressed for the largest tax cut in Louisiana history when he became governor. He has slashed state spending, particularly in health care, and made some of the deepest higher education cuts in the nation. But the state has faced huge deficits recently, and Mr. Jindal has resisted efforts by the Republican-led legislature to roll back tax credits and exemptions to balance the budget. Instead, he has called for further cuts and privatization of state services. He has also urged the repeal of Obamacare. Mm -hmm. Again, 
none of that's really surprising. Louisiana is a pretty poor state, so I-, I would expect that they would have some budget issues. Well, it's interesting that he's making cuts in health care and higher education. Well, they're going to point that out. He's probably made a lot of cuts across the board, and then they're they're just felt maybe deeper in those particular areas. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know enough about Louisiana and their specific statewide politics to to make an assessment. So I will keep my mouth shut for once. Thank you (laughs) from everyone. Right. Well, let's move on. Uh, Gallup polls, they just recently released uh, an article or some data on the least appealing presidential candidate attributes, I guess. Yeah, so they asked this question, I don't know how often, but we've talked about it before because an atheist is most commonly the least appealing candidate. Now, this is the way they phrase the question. Between now and the 2016 political conventions, there will be discussion about the qualifications of presidential candidates, their education, age, religion, race, and so on. If your party nominated a generally well-qualified person for president who happened to be blank, would you vote for that person? Hmm. Now, the options here are Catholic, a woman, black, Hispanic, Jewish, Mormon, gay or lesbian, an evangelical Christian, Muslim, an atheist, a socialist. And I just read them to you going from most favorable to least appealing. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, read them again now that we know that. Catholic, a woman. Most favorable Catholic. Yes. 93% would. Okay. A woman, 92% would. Black, 92%. Hispanic, 91% would. Jewish, 91%. Yes. Mormon, 81%. So dropping down down a little bit. Gay or lesbian, 74%. (laughs) Okay. An evangelical Christian, 73%. That's, That's shocking to me, even though George W. Bush could be considered an evangelical. A Muslim, 60%. Ah, even less. And so 38% said, no, I would not vote for an otherwise generally well-qualified candidate who happened to be a Muslim. Right. An atheist, 58% would, 40% would not vote for. Okay. And the least appealing. But 58% would. Yeah. Yeah. So that's good. Yeah. Things are things are improving. Maybe I'll run for office. <laughs> <laughs> and the least appealing quality in a candidate, a socialist. yes, would, 50%, no, would not. That doesn't bode well for Bernie Sanders. We will see if that label gets attached to him the further we go. The, the The more steam he picks up in the race and the more support that he starts gathering, he's becoming a very viable kind of a candidate. I mean, he's... In, in New Hampshire right now, he's only like 10 points behind Hillary Clinton. That's a right. big deal. Right. And that gap, as he gains more name recognition and people know who he is and kind of see what he's doing, he's going to get more popular and he's going he's gonna to put up a fight. He is drawing very substantial crowds as well. He's just growing. Well, he's going to have to drop this old curmudgeon old man thing. And he's going to have to connect with younger voters because that's going to be his lifeblood. He could be the left's version of Ron Paul. So we'll see what happens. But 
uh, I, I'm very eager to, to watch it go down. Right. So 93% said, yes, I would vote for a Catholic. Five declared candidates are Catholics. Jeb Bush, George Pataki, Marco Rubio, Rick Santorum, and Democrat Martin O'Malley. And then... This, and th- this, this was done before Bobby Jindal yes. declared. I'm almost positive he's a Catholic, too. So just did a quick Google search. Yes, Catholic. <laughs> but I think um, we've talked about. It. I think he, uh, I think he kind of colors himself some kind of a a new age kind of a evangelical Catholic or something. I think hasn't he used those words? Yeah, he refers to himself as an evangelical Catholic, which I think he's just trying to appeal. Maybe I mean he may really consider himself that, but. In my in my estimation, it would be that he's he's appealing to evangelical Christians, and they they like that word evangelical, you know. So, so the biggest different points, the biggest differences between Republicans and Democrats are socialists. There's a difference in percentage points. There's a difference in thirty three percentage points on how Democrats view socialist candidates and how Republicans view the socialist candidates, which is expected because that's a huge difference in economic policies. Sure, sure. And then the next largest disparity that you have between them is Muslim by 28 percentage points, then gay or lesbian by 24 percentage points, and then an atheist by 19 percentage points. Hmm. Well, all good information. So here's a funny story. Let's we'll bring it down a little bit, Brittany. A survey was conducted by the Academy of American uh, Dentists, periodontalistic deal, Barry Terry. Now you know how I feel <laughs> about having to read. Right. So, so some dentists got together, or people in the dental field got together, and they created this survey. And there were some kind of I don't think they're really shocking results, but there were some. Uh, maybe alarming results about just how many people lie to their dentists. And then the funny part that I want to talk about is the list of things that people would rather do than floss. But let's first address, Brittany, let's address the, 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 the percentages of people who lie to their dentist. Right. So it's more than a quarter of Americans who lie to their dentist about how often they floss. Right. And 36% say they would rather do an unpleasant activity instead of flossing. I've never understood lying to your doctor. I mean, I'm. There were times in my life when I drank a little bit more booze than I should have, you know, partied a little bit harder than I should have. Uh, I've, I've certainly calmed down as I've gotten a little older, but. Even when taking physicals or whenever and, and ask, asked by a, a doctor, my doctor, how much do you drink or how much sleep do you get? I would always be completely honest about it because how are they supposed to treat you if you're trying to paint yourself as some kind of a Boy Scout who gets, oh, eight hours of sleep a night. Oh, totally healthy. Never eat trans fats. Oh, one drink a, every week. They can't effectively treat you. I, I don't get that. Right. Well, I think that's a very healthy way to look at it. I, well, it's a healthy way to look at it, even though, you know, oftentimes I haven't lived the most healthy lifestyle. Right. <laughs> so a quarter of people lie to their dentist about flossing or how much they don't floss. That's that's not I'm not surprised by that. But let's let's get into this. What are some of the other activities that they would rather do? Than floss. 
The survey found that the top three unpleasant activities that people would rather do were washing a sink full of dirty dishes, 18% preferred this over flossing, cleaning the toilet, 14% preferred this over flossing, and waiting in a long checkout line, 14% (laughs) would rather do that than take a minute and floss their teeth. That's the thing is like washing a sink full of dirty dishes uh, and I'm that just creates imagery in my mind of actually actually doing the dishes, not just stick them in a dishwasher. Like sink full of hot water, soapy water, washing, rinsing, putting them out to dry that that that's a process. I mean, that's you're talking about 20 minutes, a half hour flossing literally takes maybe two minutes. Right. Maybe three minutes if you're doing it really well. Depending on how grimy your little teeth are, could yeah. be longer, yeah. could be less amount of time. But here's the thing. If you were to floss regularly, the flossing time will go down That's because exactly right. your teeth are cleaner. And also the dentist can tell when you're lying. I mean, yeah. they're gonna they're getting ready to clean your teeth. If you haven't flossed in a year, Right. They're probably going to be able to figure that out. So they also analyzed this by city. New Yorkers said that they were more likely to floss daily, while people in Atlanta were more likely to be honest about flossing when asked by their dentists. (laughs) Those in Chicago were more likely to prefer sitting in an hour of gridlock traffic than flossing. Really? The survey also showed that 88% of Americans would be somewhat or very likely to tell a friend if they had something stuck in their teeth, with those living in the Washington area being the least likely to do so. Washington, D.C. or Washington State? Probably Washington, D.C. They say Washington area. This article is not super clear. I would assume. Do not blame me. I would assume D.C. I am not to. But I think you're about to. Not to toot my own horn, but I am very, very diligent and willing to tell someone when they have shit stuck in their teeth. (laughs) I do. Yeah, I just believe that. I also, if someone has their fly down, man or woman. I tell them, hey, you know, your uh, your dingle dangle is getting ready to fall out. You know what I mean? Yeah. And she's never very happy when I tell her that. <laughs> <laughs> right. There is something I, I, I do want to talk about before we before we start wrapping up here. And that is obviously if you're listening to the sound of mine and and Brittany's voice. Um, you are a podcast consumer. And you probably listen to a lot. And so this news may be something you already know or you've seen on Facebook. But I want to talk about Mark Marin's interview on WTF with President Barack Obama. Obviously a historical moment for both podcasting and the country. That the, you know, the, the President of the United States travels to, to Los Angeles to go up into the hills and Sit in the garage of a... The messy garage. Yeah, the cluttered bullshit garage of a comedian and answer questions, very personal questions. It was a great interview. And that's kind of what I wanted to talk about. And I don't... Listen, I don't want to talk about... uh, Have a discussion about the fact that the certain language and words that Obama used, that it's, you know, whether it was appropriate for a sitting president. And I I, I don't want to talk about that. I I want to talk about really the, the, the historical nature of what happened and the fact that it does impact us in this medium that we've chosen to to be a part of. Um I was floored. I mean, listen, Mark Marin is a he's a great interviewer. 
He really, he is personable. He's affable. He has an ability to get things out of you in a way that's not Howard Sternish, if you know what I mean, Brittany. Like aggressive and well, aggressive, but manipulative. Also like super rapid fire questions that gets the guest off off kilter and then they just answer you know ah, they're discombobulated right. it's more comfortable with mark Marin, more personable like he's your friend you're just talking to your friend absolutely and then also like you're listening to two friends talk just have a conversation yeah, I, I i don't i don't listen to his show on the reg i am subscribed mm. i am subscribed to it on the reg on the reg all right i am subscribed to it and when i see someone um for whom I have some interest, I you know I'll uh, I'll check it out. Mm-hmm. But what you what were your takeaways? What'd you think? Well, I thought that Barack Obama was really forthcoming and really open, and he said a lot of great things. Obviously, a lot of his personality came through, and yeah, I liked when he talked about you know not being so good at basketball, kind of aging, and how it's a bummer for him when he's trying to play basketball. Those kind of those insights were very funny and interesting. But the reason that I listened to it is the same reason that I watch Jeb Bush on The Tonight Show, or I try to catch these politicians on an entertainment show because I want to see the person. Right. Because it's really easy to get caught up in the politics and you start hating someone or disliking them because of their opinions. Well, not, not only that, but you always see them and they're serious. Right. If Like if someone was to listen to this show only when I'm very serious and coming across like Mary or whatever the lady who gave us the drop was... Uh, who said that I sound like Rush Limbaugh, if if everybody just listened to me when I was being serious, it would be very easy to really not like me. Well, shit, for that matter, it's probably really easy for people not to like me now. But when a politician is always serious, I think it's it's very easy to fall into that trap. But when you hear them laugh, when you hear them talk about being a father, and when you hear them talk about being a, a husband... Having flaws and faults and marital difficulties. Not, he didn't really go into a lot of detail about difficulties, but you know, the little things, the little stressors in life, it, it's endearing, I think. Right. And you start to see them as a person rather than this is Barack Obama. He's evil. He has inflicted Obamacare on the country. Right. You know what I mean? So I think that people who dislike Obama should really listen to that interview and try to let go of some of that. I I don't want to keep using the word hatred, but a lot of times it does seem like hatred that people have. Right. Toward those who have opposing political opinions. How about contempt? Yeah, contempt. Yeah. So if you feel contemptuous of Obama, it's a great interview to listen to so you can get to know the person. It's not just his opinions. And we should be able to disagree without hating each other just because we have differing opinions. Yeah, absolutely. And it'll go down in history, not in history, but it'll go down very quickly once they get uh, some established numbers together. Probably the most downloaded, the most downloaded episode of a podcast ever. Yeah. Yeah, pretty awesome. And I like how also we were watching an interview with Mark Maron on, I think, MSNBC. Mm -hmm. And he was talking about podcasting and how this interview is kind of giving credibility to the medium. And it's... I've I've gone through a kind of a there's been growth on my part. There's been maturation process that I used to never want to say the word podcast. When people say, "Hey, what do you do?" and I say, "Oh, I host a podcast." 
there was always this kind of tinge of, I, I don't want to say embarrassment, but it was kind of a, yeah, every asshole, you know, you're, you're a kid with down in his mom's basement hosting a podcast, and I'd have to reassure them, oh, no, mine's different. It's, uh, and it's, we're rapidly coming into a time where that's not really the case, where you can be successful and be proud of what you're doing if you're putting out good content in a good way. And I hope we do that here. I think by the, the, the number of listeners that we have and the response that we get that we are doing that. And I, I appreciate it. I'm, I'm no longer, I was never really embarrassed, but I'm no longer embarrassed in any way to talk about having a podcast. Well, I remember even when I would call it the podcast, you would correct me and say, no, it's don't call it the podcast. Call it the show. And I'd say, uh, I think I'm good with calling it the podcast. <laughs> Thanks. Right. How about that? There's no control in Brittany Page, everybody. <laughs> All right. Well, if you haven't, go listen to that. Go download that. Uh, I, it, I wouldn't say whether you should subscribe or not because I only care about this podcast. <laughs> Selfish again with the fries. That's right. You know, I'm a fry stealer and a podcast subscription hoarder. Well, let's move on. We're going to wrap it up with this, everybody. A Vienna man was preparing for his colonoscopy by pressing record on his smartphone to capture the instructions his doctor would give him after the procedure. Now, surely you can see where this is going <laughs> yeah. because we have discussed this kind of thing before. Now, colonoscopy is a pretty intimate procedure. I would say it's some of the most intimate of procedures. Yes. I mean, you want to be able to trust the team <laughs> that is handling your colon. They're all up in your asshole. <laughs> Quite literally. Yeah. So this guy pressed play on his phone and he pressed started... record. Yeah, pressed record on his phone and he recorded... The conversations that were had while he was knocked out during his colonoscopy. Right. And he didn't know until he drove home and pushed play, Brittany Page, pushed play on the phone and listened back to what was said while it had been recording this entire time. Now, the audio's not the best, but it's better than it would have been had I just played it. I, I tried to do some noise removal and boost the levels a little bit so you can really hear what they're saying. So bear with us. It is really good. There's some good stuff here that this office, not office staff, that this uh, medical team is saying about his dick and his being kind of a, a pussy, but manning up. It's just terrible. But the sound quality is better than Bobby Jindal's presidential announcement <laughs> video. So that wasn't good enough to yeah. play. This is, here we go. Here we go. Keep in mind, He's knocked out. He is anesthetized. And this is the conversation that is being had over his naked body. Really, after five minutes of talking to you in pre-op, I wanted to punch you in the face and man you up a little bit. So just make sure you're down there. You're some lube on the floor. No, I need to accidentally rub up against it. <laughs> syphilis on your arm or something. It's probably tuberculosis in the penis, so I'm going to be all right. Just get a PPD in like a month, and then you'll take some INH and be fine. So if you see a reaction, you're okay? Penis Ebola. So Vicky? Yes. So, uh, you're going to go talk to the special afterwards, right? <laughs> sure. 
You're going to have to have a timer go off. Yeah. I have like a fake page. Yeah. Dr. Shah, you need it urgently in the office. Okay, I have to go now. Actually, Excuse I have, me. I have a patient to see. There you go. I've done the fake page before. Yeah. And I'm putting his ID in, he's like, I always pass out when um, I look at them. Great. Well, why are you looking, looking then, retard? I said, turn your head. Why are you looking? They want to believe what they want to believe. These yeah. people are into their medical problems. They need to have medical problems. I call it the Northern Virginia Syndrome. It does. I agree. It seems to be a heck of a lot worse here, because it was not like this yeah, in Texas. Here, it's, it's like the holier than now. Well, they're more tough in Texas, I think. No, it's here it's like the holy of the now. Too much internet use, a little too much information, kind of. Round and round they go, wheel of annoying patients it goes. <laughs> Where to land, nobody knows. Oh, I saw Charlene, she had lunch with me. I feel bad, I shouldn't be so mean. I'm going to mark hemorrhoids, even though we don't see them, we probably won't. I'm just going to take a shot in the dark. So this took place in the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, Vienna, Virginia, and <laughs> uh, goddamn. The woman that you can hear most clearly is the, the main problem here. She's the anesthesiologist. Now, anesthesiologists, on average, make 300 grand a year. Right. And this woman, who is presumably making this, you know great salary sure and probably for sure in that area she is too it's a very wealthy area right she's the one who said to the patient who's knocked out after five minutes of talking to you in pre-op i wanted to punch you in the face and man you up a little bit she's tough talking this guy who's knocked out right well first of all i don't think that punching someone in the face is gonna man them up <laughs> you know what i mean yeah. That's not really how you... How do I create a guy who's going to be a man? Oh, I'll punch you in the face. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so then they start discussing how to avoid the patient creating fake pagers going off no, so they don't have to talk to no. him. Before that, they talked about Ebola penis and si not rubbing up against him because you're going to get syphilis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But then they went on to what you just said about uh, how to avoid talking to him after the procedure. And then from there, they just generally went on about how he l probably looked all this up on the internet, and he's too sensitive, and it's Northern Virginia Syndrome, which led them to her talking about writing in his chart that he has hemorrhoids, even though she had no evidence of such a diagnosis. Right, so she's writing a false diagnosis in his chart. Now... A Fairfax County jury has ordered the anesthesiologist and her practice to pay him 500 grand. A half a million dollars for the words and the shitty, the shitty shit <laughs> that went on, the things that were said while he was under. A half a million dollars he's been awarded by a jury. That's a, that's a lot of money. That's a, probably a nice lesson for them to take away from this, to keep their mouths shut and not be hateful and aggressive and douchey, your medical professionals quit yucking it up, quit trying to put on some comedy show 
in the in the procedure room. Right. Well, it seems like, you know, people who get into this profession, it, it requires a lot of education, a lot of discipline. Yeah. And I'm assuming you get into the profession because you want to help people. And this isn't very helpful at right, all. Right. And this is not the first time we've heard about this. So it's obviously somewhat common. And what are these people doing? I mean, this whole recording your surgery is probably going to become more common oh, as yeah. these stories well, come out. Especially if you can cash in a half a million dollar payday right. if someone says something shitty. Right. <laughs> exactly. Pretty remarkable. Anyway, we wanted to share that with you. I think it's very, very funny. And sad. Well, you know. Well, I mean, things worked out for him, so he's good now. He can buy a whole lot of hemorrhoid cream with that half a million dollars, Brittany. A lot. A lot. Well, I think we'll end it there. We appreciate you listening very much. Listen, if you appreciate listening as much as we appreciate you listening, why don't you go to dollamore.com, go to the Amazon link on the left-hand side of the page. That will get you through to Amazon to buy the things that you're going there to buy anyway. It's not going to cost you any more money, and every purchase goes a long way towards supporting your favorite twice-weekly show filled with news news, and ridiculous comments. If you also appreciate what we do and you'd like to throw some spare change our way and support us in a little bit more of an ongoing manner, you can go to patreon.com slash idoubtitwithdollamore. We, we talk about it every once in a while on the show. It is like a Kickstarter campaign that is ongoing. You can set a monthly maximum so you never go over your budget. Even if you give 25 cents or 50 cents an episode, or if you're Daddy Warbucks and you want to give us 10 bucks a sewed, we're ready for that. We love you. We appreciate you for tuning in. Thanks for being part of helping us move the conversation forward. For Brittany Page, I am Jesse Dollamore, and this has been I Doubt It. If, if you want to talk about that, let's uh, do that on a different segment. Okay.